0: Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. All right, well, we're continuing in our very frightening series called Ghost Stories. I trust that, that some of you are scared. Some of you have been uh, blessed, though, at the same time. And uh, to that, the title of today's message is Ghost Stories. The ghost, and this is kind of just a little nod to the fact that Costco is already loading up on Christmas stuff. Uh, but it's called The Ghost of Pentecost, Past, Present, and Future. Yeah, I know. That was a little cheesy. I realize that. But uh, I want to start our conversation today um, with a question. Because Jesus often did that. So I figure you can't go wrong. Sometimes it's best to start with a question. My question for you this morning is, do you think the Holy Spirit is Pentecostal? Do you think the Holy Spirit is Pentecostal? You see, I'm often asked this question, and it's really only by like church people, other pastors, some whom I like, some who I frankly don't really enjoy their company that much. Am I allowed to say that? It doesn't matter, I did. But uh, I enjoy all of your company, just so you know. Uh, but I'm often asked about our denominational ties, and nothing to me kills a conversation, and kills the building of relationship faster than so uh, what are your denominational ties? Because it's kind of a loaded question typically when people ask it. They already have a preconceived notion of what your answer will be based on what they think of you and they also have a preconceived notion of what they think about what your answer might be. So it doesn't matter what you say, if I said like well I'm Presbyterian they would have a whole you know, theological ideology in place already about why they agree or disagree with doctrine, all those kinds of things. And so when I'm asked that, um, I, I tend to defer. I say, well, we're non denominational. From time to time, I think I should say things like, well, we're actually multi denominational. We are tens, fives, twenties, fifties, hundreds, toonies, loonies, quarters, nickels, and dimes. We used to be pennies, but we're not anymore. That was way better than even what Melina gave me, I thought. It was pretty witty. But, uh, you know, denominations are a funny thing. By the way, the fastest church growing in the world today is the non-denominational church. Denominational churches are in serious decline. And uh, as an interesting fact, the non-denominal churches that are growing are mostly charismatic slash what we might call Pentecostal churches. And that's interesting because a lot of people in the emergent church, or what we might call the seeker-sensitive movement, are staying away from conversations about the Holy Spirit, which, as we've talked about in weeks ahead, is crazy. And you should listen to the podcast to get up to speed. So, you see, I was raised in a uh, mild-mannered Pentecostal church. Absolutely. Even the newspaper said the name of the church, and underneath in brackets, it said Pentecostal, just so everybody knew. And uh, it was a good church. It had good, strong Bible teaching. It had great pastors, uh, generally soft-spoken pastors who were good communicators, uh, relatively relational people. You know, it was it was a great church to grow up in. I went on to go to college to study theology at Northwest Bible College, uh, which is now called Vanguard, and it is the PAOC school for Northwestern Canada, and. Um, The problem, as I alluded to before, is depending on your upbringing, the word Pentecostal may or may not mean something to you. And hopefully it means absolutely nothing to you at all. Like hopefully you're just that unchurched if you're here this morning that the word Pentecostal is just totally, what? You know, uh, because it's important to understand this word. It's important to understand where it comes from in the Bible and what it actually means for us. So, um... Let me, just, let me just jump into what we believe, and then we'll build off of that. Is that okay with you? So we believe in water baptism at this church. And last Sunday we talked about who... I will give... I don't have anything in my pockets to give away. If someone can tell me what last week's message was about. Three... Oh, my goodness. You guys overwhelm me with your awesomeness. Yeah, we talked about three baptisms last week. So we believe in the three baptisms as we see them in Scripture, all right? And um, so we believe in water baptism, we believe in Holy Spirit baptism, and we believe in the baptism of salvation. We're baptized into the body of Christ, into Jesus, and into the Holy Spirit. Those would be the three baptisms. And we believe one day Jesus will return for his church, and until that time we carry out his mission in the world. That's our basically our denominational statement right there. That, that's who we are as a church. Uh, theologically. And lots of people don't like the answer, so they press in a little more if they're, you know, religious. They say, so, you're Pentecostal, which is more of a statement than a question. And I graciously say, no, not probably how you mean. Because it depends how you mean Pentecostal. If you mean, like, swing from the chandelier, scream, speaking in unknown language, wearing too much makeup if you're a lady, uh, not the man, then no, we're not Pentecostal. We're, we're not, or or if the women wear no makeup at all all the time, we're, we're not that kind of Pentecostal either. Um, if you mean that we believe that all non-Tongue speakers will burn in hell, and that ladies are not allowed to wear pants only dresses, we're not that kind of Pentecostal either. So I say no. And um, you know, also if you think that dyed hair, bleached hair, permed hair, all those kind of too hair, too short a hair, too long a hair, depending on if you're man or woman. You think that all sends you to hell? No, we're not that kind of Pentecostal either. Uh, So, what kind of Pentecostal are we? Well, we're the biblical kinds. And and by the way, so is the whole body of Christ. Whether we have this revelation or not, the whole body of Christ is Pentecostal. Now, I'm going to unpack that for you because I realize if you're a Baptist here this morning, all of the alarms are going off in your head. And you're, find, you're trying to find rocks on this gym floor, and it is yielding nothing for you. So, let me, let me just, let me try to break this down for you now that I have probably partially offended you. So, what we mean by we are Pentecostal, or that the church as a whole is Pentecostal, is in the biblical definition of the word. You see, we believe in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We believe that Pentecost is the fulfillment of of the Feast of Pentecost and that every believer needs a vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit that's why we're all Pentecostal now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open this right up for you Acts chapter 2 if you have your Bible Acts chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 this is what it says when the day of Pentecost had come they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting so we sing the song, pour it out, let your love run over, right? Let your glory fill this house. That's what, that's what the writers of that song are referring to. They're referring to Acts chapter 2. So it, it filled the house like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they're sitting. Now, Pentecost itself, just so we understand the word and the context here, is, is a major feast in the people of Israel, To the Jewish people, the feast of Pentecost is an important and significant uh, time. And it's in the first month, uh, third month, and the seventh month in their calendar year. There's there's three major feasts that are associated with it. Now, let me just break down some of the feasts. There are actually like seven feasts that we're going to talk about. And there are also new moon feasts. And and there's a bunch of them. But there's seven that are really important. And there are nine if you count what... Uh, what, the, what the religious orders of Judaism added after the fact. But we're only going to talk about seven because that's really the ones that we recognize as having prophetic uh, value that we see revealed in the New Testament church or at the return of Jesus, okay? So we have, um, we, have, we have the Passover, which represents the spirit of death passing over the houses of the Hebrews who were enslaved in Egypt and they Put the blood of the lamb on the door. I know some of you might be like, oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. Just stick with us for a while. We'll disciple you into understanding God's word. It's not a big deal. Um, then we have Pentecost. Then we have the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, then we have the, the, piece of, sorry, the Feast of Passover, Unleavened Breads, First Fruits. There's the Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Tabernacles or Boots. So we got Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits. We have Pentecost. We have trumpets. We have atonement and tabernacles. Those are the seven, okay? So so what is Pentecost? Because we're not going to talk about all the seven. We're just going to talk about Pentecost. Now this is why I put it in the series Ghost Stories because the word Pentecost is so scary to so many people. But guess what the word Pentecost means? It's going to blow your mind. It means five. (laughs) I just filled my shorts. That is so scary. That is so loaded up with religious hubbly jubbly. That I can't even barely sit in this room. Pentecost means five. Penta means five. And actually, in technical terms, it's actually 50. But just so you know, it's, it's uh, I know. Because it's, it's scarier, right? Like 50 is 10 times more frightening than five. So I want to ease you into this conversation. But, but it's actually amazing, because what happens is 50 days after Passover is when the, uh, when, when the Feast of Pentecost happens. Now now this is going to blow your mind, I hope, this morning as we unpack this, because it's really, really exciting. See, because God authored the whole thing, right? There's a lot of people who have trouble with the Bible. They're like, I don't know. It just seems a little too fake. But when you understand the complexity of God's word, the prophetic values of God's word, when you understand that it was authored by many, many different... Or it was written by many people. People authored, of course, by the Holy Spirit. It's pretty hard to gel all of this fakeness together. So it's either one giant coincidence, or it's legitimate. Now... Check this out in Leviticus 23, 15 and 16. It says, you shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, okay, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. You shall count 50, everyone say 50. 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. Okay. So in the Old Testament... There was fifty days, fifty days between these two feasts Passover and Pentecost. And I'm telling you this because God knew how many days there would be now get this between when Jesus atoned for sin and when the Holy Spirit would come. Guess how many days between the death of Jesus? The coming of the Holy Spirit. 50. 50 days. This isn't a weird Bible math thing. This isn't like number code that weird people research. It's actually like literally referred to in the Bible. It's just like, bam, there it is, folks. And so, Pentecost means 50. But what's exciting about it is is that God knew when Jesus would rise from the dead. God knew when... The Holy Spirit would come. God knew that his people who were believing in Jesus, about 120 at that time, were all gathered in upper room waiting for what God was about to do next. And it happened just like he laid it out, foreshadowed in the Old Testament, fully realized in the New. So what happened at Pentecost? Acts 2 verses 5 and 6, this is what it says. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. That's scary. People from every nation, get this, people from every nation were, everyone say the word, confused. They were bewildered. They were confused because everyone speaks a different language. Jerusalem was a major center of trade and religion in that day, just like it is today. And so you had people coming from all over the known world to do business and to see friends and, you know, probably grab a drink at the bar or whatever they had back then. I don't know what they had. But uh, all of a sudden, they, they experienced these people speaking in Aramaic and in Arabic and in the language that the Cretes spoke. And I mean, it just went on and on. And as people gathered around, they began to realize that these 120 followers of Jesus were for some reason speaking in a language they didn't know. But they could each understand what they were saying. And what they were saying, they were declaring the glorious works of God. Now this is interesting. And the reason why I want to point out that they were bewildered is because there's a story in the Old Testament that has significance here. Way back in the beginnings of people, there was an event, if you ever read your kid's Bible, I had a cartoon Bible growing up, which was pretty awesome. It wasn't a cartoon, but it was a cartoon Bible, and it was done well. And I got it for memorizing verses in Sunday school. The guy who gave it to me, his name was Doug Norton. I don't know why I'm sharing that with you right now, It just seems significant in this moment. And I guess I'm just going to take a shameless plug in this moment to say, Doug Norton gave me a comic book Bible when I was a kid. And that is the Bible that I read night after night after night after night all through my childhood. And now today we're pastoring a church. What we need in our church right now is some Doug Nortons. Okay? We got a whole generation of little people out here that need someone to help them memorize God's word. And give them some comic book Bibles. By the way, if you sign up for kids ministry, I will pay for your comic book Bibles to give to children. Okay, anyways. I know it was shameless, but it just seems so good to do it right now. But I remembered some of the significant stories in there. One of the stories was about the Tower of Babel. And if you, I don't have time to go into all of it today. But the Tower of Babel, basically everybody got together and said, hey, let's build a tower so high that we can get to heaven which man has always been trying to do haven't we isn't isn't kind of the goal of mankind to keep on bettering ourselves and bettering ourselves until we are eternal until we are godlike until we are all that is humanism is its finest so in those days what they did was they gathered in rebellion against god and at pentecost we see something totally opposite we see people gather in submission yeah. to god in the Old Testament at the Tower of Babel, we had people coming who were speaking one language, and in order to save them from themselves, God confused their languages. One day, Bill, Jehector, I just made up that name, obviously, and Frank are building the tower, and all of a sudden, one of them is speaking French, one of them is speaking Arabian, and one of them is speaking, I don't know, like old English, the kind that doesn't even sound like English. I they're just confused all of a sudden. Why? Because God was going to save them from their selves. They were opening themselves to demonic powers of principalities. They had no idea what they were messing with in their attempts to become like God. But what happens at the day of Pentecost? The day of Pentecost, there is also a great deal of confusion. But what is significant about it is all of these people who are confused by language now come together as one. is that just an accident? I don't think so. I think that I think that God has been setting us up this whole time. So Pentecost in short is the blessed reversal of the curse that happened at Babel. Every nation, every ethnos, every tribe, every culture, every tongue will praise God. And it all started at Pentecost. And so this is the fulfillment of the Feast of Pentecost. Now think about this. So when the law is given, there's a loud noise. Right? Remember in the, in the, in, in the Old Testament, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. There's a loud noise. He, the, the smoke comes down. There's lightning, thunder. There's shaking. I mean, it's quaking. It's happening. Everybody's like, that is Jehovah. And Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. And, and long story short, well, he's up there getting the Ten Commandments. They're down there breaking every one of them. Basically, long story short. Now this, check this out. The Old Testament, God shows up, gives Moses the Ten Commandments, and at the end of that little story, 3,000 people die. But at the day of Pentecost, check this out, at the day of Pentecost, in Acts 2.41, see, it's Exodus 32.28, the 3,000 people die. And the Bible literally writes it this way. And about 3,000 died. And you get to the book of Acts in chapter 2, verse 41, and it says that after Peter was done speaking, about 3,000 people were saved. Yeah. Now, at the giving of the law, 3,000 people died because they were rebellion. But at the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. Somebody convince me that that's an accident. That's, so good. that's not an accident. That is freakishly awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. That will mess you up if you think about it for a little while. How good is God at undoing the messes we make? Yeah. How good is He at taking our disasters and turning them into something that not only glorifies Him, but glorifies us? It brings us to a different place. So at Pentecost, there was a loud noise, there was fire, and the spirit descended. And in the Old Testament, what happened? The Old Testament was the same thing. The presence of God came down. There was smoke, and where there's smoke, there is. Fire? That's what I was always taught. But in the Old Testament where the law showed us our sin and produced death, the New Testament fulfills it by giving us life. I hope you're seeing this. When we were given God's law, we couldn't keep it. (laughs) And we haven't been able to keep it from then on. But why is the Holy Spirit given to us? He's given to us to guide us into all truth and remind us of every word that Jesus said. Why? Because when we're reminded of God's heart, when we're reminded of the words of Jesus, it's actually hard to sin. It gets hard to break the laws of God when you've written them on your heart. Or maybe I should say when the Holy Spirit writes them on your heart. Jesus came to get us into right standing with God. The Holy Spirit comes to help us live it out righteously. He comes to empower us. And if you can think for a second that you can live without the Holy Spirit... You are mistaken. I got into a friendly argument with a gentleman in another church one day. We, we phoned them and said, hey, we don't have a baptismal tank at our church. And we're wondering if we could use your church because we've got to baptize a bunch of people. And, and in our discourse, he brought up the fact that in our statement of faith, it says that we believe that the baptism with the Holy Spirit is essential in the life of the believer. And he took major issue with that because of a predetermined... Viewpoint on Pentecostals. And I argued with him because I didn't appreciate how his inference was that we believe if you don't speak in tongues you're going to go to hell. But I realized after the fact it's just simply, he didn't understand. He, he didn't understand what we mean when we say the Holy Spirit is essential in the life of a believer. Now he might not be essential in terms of baptism for you to get to heaven But let me tell you this, church. He is absolutely essential in your life if you ever want to bring heaven to earth. We cannot bring the presence of God. We cannot bring heaven down to change the cultural atmosphere of everything around us without the Holy Spirit. And we're fooling ourselves if we think the early church did it any differently. The men and women of the early church were full of the Holy Ghost and power. Why do the 3,000 people get saved when I preach? Maybe you're a bad speaker. And that's not it, because Peter was a horrible speaker, I think. Who am I to judge? I've never got 3,000 people saved at once. But Peter didn't either. It was the Holy Spirit. See, I think what happens when... It looks like there's maybe 150 of us in church this morning. What happens when 120 or 150 completely yield themselves and open themselves to the presence of God is miracles. Yeah. You think, the Bible says, well, where two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst of them. Yeah, but what happens when 150 are gathered? Yeah. Yeah. Do we not understand the principles of multiplication and that God is a multiplier of blessing? He is not an adder of blessing. God is a multiplier of blessing. When God makes promises, it's according to the sand on the seashore and the stars in the heavens. But we all want to settle because it's comfortable for, well, two or three, one, maybe a half. God, just get half a person saved today. I'm just tired of waiting. tired of waiting for our church to open our hearts to what God might actually want to do? The third question I have to ask you this morning is, can you experience Pentecost? Can you experience what those followers of Jesus experienced in an upper room? Let me read to you Acts 2 3 and 4. And they appeared to them, tongues as a fire, distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. I know I foreshadowed this last Sunday. Each one of them got a flame. A tongue of fire and the ability to speak in another tongue. That's that scary word to people, tongues. Everybody just stick out your tongue right now. Mm, Oh, that's the most frightening thing in the world, isn't it? Listen, tongues is just for the sake of oversimplification, it's language. It's not scary. It's it's not it's not too hard to comprehend. There are languages of men, there are languages of angels, that's what the Bible says. It's called tongues, and it's just not scary. It's not weird. The Greek word for that is glossa, which is where we get our word glossary, just for the record. So we shouldn't be afraid of it. I just want to say that if something in your upbringing causes you to read God's word at any point and it causes you to live in fear something is out of alignment in your life if we we read God's word in the Old Testament we see judgment and that causes us to live in fear of God I want you to understand something something is out of alignment in your spirit because when I read the word of God and I see judgment in the Old Testament what comes to my mind and heart is that God is completely just in everything he does I don't feel like God's all that mean. I feel like we probably get what we deserve. If the word like tongues at Pentecost, if, if that puts you in a tailspin, just know something is out of alignment, but the Spirit of God comes to bring alignment to you. So if this happened now, we all have a tongue of fire on us. This room would shake, the wind would blow. And I'd look around and I'd see a tongue of fire on everybody's head. And I'd be like, this is church. Oh, man, it has got to be some church up in here. But I wouldn't see the flame on my own head, would I? See, I don't even know that I'm balding most of the time. I don't think about it because I can't see the back of my own head. But every time my beautiful wife sits me down to cut my hair, she feels led by the Spirit of God for some reason point out that the Pope ring on my head is getting larger and larger and larger. There's a lot of deforestation going on apparently. But the interesting thing about the day of Pentecost was that if I was in the room with all of you and the Holy Spirit visited us in this way, we all think it would be so easy, right? Because it would be a miracle. We'd see tongues like fire on everyone's head. and So no doubt God showed up. But the reality for every single person in that room, and I can just see it, you know, like Peter looks around, and everybody else has got a tongue of fire. So what does he do? Everybody knows what he, right? He's feeling for heat. Is it hot up here? Do 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 I have the fire? And I want you to understand something in the simplest terms, is that every single believer that was gathered in that room on that day, even though they saw the miraculous all around them, for the, each of, for each one of them in their own heart, they had to go on nothing but faith. That there was a, t- fire, a, tongue, a tongue of fire on their own head. I mean, unless they all put out their iPhones and were selfie-sticking it. Of course, then my dad was there and he spent 10 minutes trying to get the photo thing to go backwards on his phone. <laughs> you gonna miss it. Love you, Dad. I'm just teasing. They had to take it on faith that there was fire on their head. And I want you to know this morning, you have to exercise your faith to know that the Holy Spirit can visit you the way he did. Pentecost. Yep. Even better. He's not going to meet you like Pentecost, he's going to meet you where you're all, all of your, sins, all, of your life, all of your heart, all of your concerns, all of your strategies, the good ones, the bad ones, the failed ones, the successful ones. That's the Spirit of God that wants to come to you to empower you. Can I experience this? For those of you who aren't convinced, look at Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Gathering them together, he, Jesus, commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The promise is clear. Jesus Promise to his disciples and to those who were following him was that they would be baptized in and with the Holy Spirit of God. And that promise rings true today. It's for every generation. You say, well, Pastor, I don't believe that. I don't know how it could be true for every generation. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 39 says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise. Everyone say promise. promise. The promise is for you... And for your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. Now you explain to me how we can dispensationalize the promises of God. Well, yeah, but literally it just said it was for them and for their children. Yeah, and all those who are far off. You see, when he says all those who are far off, he's not only speaking generationally, in however many generations between that day and the day when Christ returns, but he's also speaking to the people all over the world. For all who are far off. Can I receive it today? It's for you and for your children and all who are far off. I'm far off. I was a person far off from God. You're a person who is far off from God. The Greek word there is mikos, and it means far off in terms of distance and time. Remember the three feasts. I'll wind this down. So Passover is fulfilled on the day that Jesus died. The Passover feast, the representation, the blood of the Lamb on the door, causing the angel of death, the Passover, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt were were killed, they're put to death if they didn't have the blood of the lamb on the door. So Jesus fulfills that. The blood of a spotless lamb shed for their lives in Egypt is the blood of the spotless lamb who is Jesus. We talked about it in communion today that was shed for our life today. Now this is very interesting. Again, accidental parallels in the Bible, I think not. So this is what they did with the Passover lamb in the Old Testament. It was around 9 a.m. that they put Jesus on the cross. Guess what time they prepared the lamb in the Old Testament? About 9 o'clock in the morning. At about 3 p.m. they prepared it, the lamb in the Old Testament, they they prepared it to roast it in the oven. Uh, Guess what time they think they took Jesus off the cross? About 3 p.m. During the Passover Feast of Unleavened Bread, they would take the bread and hide it in the house and then take it out and wave it around as a symbol to the Lord of the first first harvest. And this parallel actually lines up then with Jesus walking out of the tomb. They took the bread. It was hidden away in the house. But at the appointed time, they would come out and they would, they would raise that bread in triumph. Celebrating what God had done. Celebrating His promises. And Jesus, the bread of life, walked himself out of that tomb. He completely fulfilled the festival, the feast of Passover. So we got Passover fulfilled. Now, Tabernacles includes the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, and the Feast of... of, uh, Tabernacles. Now just understand this. Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles has has not been fulfilled yet. But it will be because one day the the trumpet will sound. And it'll be followed by a judgment. But because of the atonement as the house of God, we're good. a trumpet will sound and we will see Jesus coming for his church and we'll be in the presence of God forever because of what he has done for us so if we can receive the fulfillment of Passover right like we understand we we can receive the work of Jesus at the cross that's what I mean by we can fulfill or we can receive the fulfillment of Passover but we weren't alive back then right I was definitely not alive when they started Passover. Without a doubt. Scientifically, it's verifiable. But yet, I still qualify for the fulfillment of Passover, right? I mean, I hope I do because otherwise, we're all wasting our time here on Sunday mornings. In fact, the whole Word of God is pretty worthless if salvation doesn't happen for us. So we could receive that fulfillment. And we can experience that fulfillment of Passover. But how about when the trumpet sounds? Can you experience it? You will experience it when the trumpet sounds. I promise you. You will experience when the trumpet sounds. So we can understand and accept that we are qualified to receive Passover even though it was before. We understand that as believers, because of what the Bible says, that one day we're going to hear a trumpet, so we're going to take part in the Feast of Trumpets. But why on earth then, in the middle of all this, would we say, yeah, but the Feast of Pentecost, the fulfillment of Pentecost is not for me. That's insane. That makes no sense whatsoever. I think like all people, like all children when we see something that frightens us our tendency is to hold it at distance rather than pull it close our tendency is to create distance rather than pull it close it's kind of like this Tonight, I think it's tonight, my in laws are coming to visit. It. Maybe it's tomorrow. And my mother in law, God bless her, is going to be staying in my home. There's two ways that I could treat my mother in law I can let her be in my home, she'll drink all my diet pot. she'll she'll probably boss me around a little bit. She'll take over our television so I won't be able to watch what I want. And I can just exist with her in my house. Maybe even be a little bit resentful. Or I can actually receive my wonderful mother-in-law in my home. And I can freely let her drink all my diet pop. And I can freely let her have control over our television at 9 o'clock at night. And I can freely let her tell me what to do. Do you see the difference? Either way, she's in my house. But in one way, my heart says, no, stay away. The other, my heart says, I fully embrace you being here. You tell me which one's right and which one's wrong. And then understand that why would it be different with the Holy Spirit of God? The Holy Spirit wants to come into my house and drink all my diet pop. You better be darn sure I'm going to go out to the store and buy more. Holy Spirit, you drink all the diet Pepsi you want. Just visit my habitation. Holy Spirit, you want the remote control? Please, Holy Spirit, take the remote control. Hopefully we can watch Designated Survivor, right? Holy Spirit, I really, I really have been feeling lately like what I want you to do is boss me around. Tell me what to do. Tell me where to go. Tell me how it really is. You see, what we're doing as a church sometimes is we're stiff-arming God and that's what's keeping Him away. Why do I never feel close to God? Because you're holding your arm out like this. There's a difference between having the Holy Spirit be in your home and you receiving the Holy Spirit in your home. And that's what I want to leave you with today. I want us to take a moment like we do every Sunday. The worship team is going to come back. Pastor Tyson's actually going to come and close the service today. But I, I just want to say Maybe the appropriate response today for some of us is to actually apologize to the Holy Spirit of God and say, you know what? God, because He is, I'm sorry that I've been holding you at arm's length while you were trying to get close with me. I'm sorry that, that I've been pushing you away when you've been trying to push in. Maybe we should pray something like, Holy Spirit, I'm sorry I've been treating you like my mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law very much. She's a wonderful lady. She loves Jesus. She loves my children, and she loves me. She really is a great lady. But guys, the Holy Spirit is not someone to be pushed away. He's someone to be invited in. Jesus said, it's better I go so that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, will come for you. Guides you into everything that's true. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.